Welcome back to Giant Performance. I'm your host, Tom Shea, the co-founder of Agile Media Group. Joined by two awesome founders today. We got Matt Weiss from Rind, Alan Dushi of Graza. Um, Matt Weiss is the founder and CEO of Rind, a tasty dried fruit snacks that are crispy and craveable on a mission to address today's most critical environmental issues, including food security, climate change, and energy conservation. They do this by sourcing high quality but cosmetically imperfect fruit that would have otherwise been discarded. Alan Dushi is the co-founder of Graza, a delicious high quality olive oil that brings the chef's bottle of olive oil into retail. Their oil is unblended and made from 100% on piquol. 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 Oh, so, all right. So now that grown in J high in Spain. And we'll talk about Andrew on this for sure. <laughs> uh, and ever since its launch earlier in 2020, in 2022, Graza has been on a rocket ship. Graza is a chef and celeb favorite, one of the coolest brands on social media, available online, offline, and everywhere in Whole Foods. Gentlemen, welcome to Driving Performance. Thank you. What are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first question. Uh, so we have a lot of audio-only listeners. I start this show off asking the same question of everyone. How would you describe people what what the hell is happening on this, this set design right now? Uh, I am in a mobile studio apartment <laughs> with uh, plexiglass on all sides. The cost of it's, uh, it's almost like, the cost of this is almost like renting a studio Hanging apartment. with great people, about to talk delicious products. Yeah. I'm happy to just be in person. I've only done one podcast before, and it's been on Zoom. Yeah, I didn't think I would be in a glass truck Getting on the corner of 24th and, and 7th in New York City, but I like this a little more. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, Alan, Matt, um, another question I ask of everyone is, do you guys know each other? If so, how do you know each other? What's the backstory there? How'd you meet? Um, take it away. So we, we met at a networking event, probably two or three months before Graza launched and talked for 10 minutes. I sent him a follow-up email to ask him 100 retail questions <laughs> that yeah. I didn't know the answers to or even where to begin. And we've actually stayed in really good touch and he's been, uh, uh, a, I would say, informal advisor. We tried to get him on board, but I think you had your, your son's bar mitzvah coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Got in the way. <laughs> Um, but he's he's offered a lot of help to Graza and guidance as we as we rolled into retail. Actually, yeah. yep. Met him at this event. Uh, who, do you remember the event? Who I put, do. Who it was put it um, on. It was a rodeo. Rodeo CPG. Rodeo CPG. All right, shout out rodeo CPG. There you go. Maybe naturally New York. Okay, we'll shout them out too. It was like the whole box of CPG like tools that everyone uses. A it new was, variant of COVID was formed from this event. It was so <laughs> jamming. And it was just one of the first like back in-person events and the energy was just off the charts. Nice. And everyone had like a physical product they were walking around the bar with, except this guy, <laughs> who, who was therefore more interesting to me. And I was like, what's your story? And I just heard some like people geeking out over some really cool olives, so. Awesome. Got to yeah. talking. Cool, all right, well let me lay out uh, the structure of the show. So as we are in a truck, there's gonna be a few different stops along our route. The first stop is going to be origin stories, um, just talking through the formidable moments, inflection points through your career that got you guys to your respective brands. The second stop is going to be brand-specific questions, so I have um, questions prepared unique to each of your organizations. Stop three is going to be intersection questions, where we're going to talk through, you know, I'm going to have one question essentially posed to the both of you that I think you guys can both uniquely weigh in on uh, in the context of your brands. Stop four is a game we call The Hot Box, uh, a tongue-in-cheek play on uh, the game The Hot Seat. So we'll talk about that when we get there. And then stop five 
is quite literally the end. We'll wrap, uh, talk about where people can find your products, and uh, we'll go from there. Sound good? Awesome. Cool. All right, so Matt, I, I want to start uh, off stop one on our journey. Um, just hearing about your story, it's uh, you were, you know, in one spot for a while, maybe a dino in, in the modern era <laughs> there. But why don't you take us back to the very beginning and um, the origin story for starting Rind? Yeah, um, you know, very unconventional path to selling uh, fruit snacks. <laughs> I don't know if there is much of a straight path to getting there. Uh, I joke that my great-great-grandparents who probably came over here on a boat to uh, sell pickles or dried fruit out of a push cart on the Lower East Side would probably be um, aghast at that we didn't make much progress. <laughs> but um, what I love about this is um, I am absolutely doing something I am passionate about. Uh, it's not to say I wasn't doing it before. I was 20 years in finance at an incredible firm. Uh, it was a big mutual fund where I had the opportunity to research amazing companies, public companies, in the food and beverage space. So the sector was something I was becoming more and more familiar with. And nothing paled in comparison to the excitement of hearing a founder's story and bringing an idea to life uh, from nothing more than just that, an idea in their head. Uh, that when I would go back to my desk and map out their dreams uh, in a spreadsheet um, and then make recommendations, it quickly became apparent to me that what I really wanted to do was be building and be on the other side of the table and have a concept of my own that I believed in passionately that could become something big. Yeah, and what was the inspiration for Rind? I know you, you talked, oh, I think it was your great-grandmother had some, yeah. some influence on it. Yeah, so my great-grandmother, her name was Helen Seitner. She was just like cut from a different cloth. She was a product of the Great Depression, uh, had a health food store in the 20s and 30s in Flint, Michigan. Um, it was like 700 square feet, wow. bulk bins. Um, she really walked the walk. And she had unique perspectives. I got to know her as a little kid because she lived to 100 and was just a picture of vitality. She right. actually had like an orange glow to her skin from what we later learned to be keratemia, which is when you drink a lot of carrots, uh, you, your skin tone turns orange. Whoa. So that made her infinitely more interesting on family <laughs> vacations and Thanksgiving. It wasn't rind orange? Uh, could have been. Um, <laughs> anyway, she, she really was the inspiration behind real whole fruit, roots, rind, seeds, and stem. So I pay homage to her with, with rind. Yeah, awesome. And uh, you studied Spanish literature, right? Yeah, of course. All right, so good segue into Grasa. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So, Alan, um, oh my God. how am I supposed to compete with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but take us back. I mean, you, you had a really interesting path, too, and, and I definitely want to hear about um, Andrew as well, as, as someone who's he's in Spain currently, right? Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's visiting Jaén tomorrow, actually. There to, you go to hopefully get some some good visualizations on how next year's olive harvest is going but um i had a strange path actually i graduated with a with a finance degree in 2009 which is just the wrong great, time to graduate timing, with time. a finance degree um interesting I, I, there's been actually a lot of guests who've had that like exact same story. yeah exactly <laughs> so um my my uncle was just starting a clothing company um he's been a boom and bust entrepreneur his his whole life ups and downs i always had a great relationship with him he was just starting um, a company called shirt by shirt and he said come work for me i said what do you do he said, i'm making flannel shirts okay fantastic like i'll take it yep no. <laughs> jacks go buy jacks everywhere you can buy flannel shirts um it was a two million dollar business i was the 
second full-time employee, um, got sent immediately to the warehouse to project out next year's orders and shipping. We did $11 million in our, in our second year and ended up with a, a warehouse just full of flannel shirts, big binder of customer orders, no idea who could pay, no idea who to ship to, right. no idea what was in stock and it was just figured out. So I disappeared for a year and shipped everything and collected and got paid and just really and where saw are we at this point? Outs. This is 2009, 2010. In which geography? In Queens. Okay, got it. <laughs> the office was in Soho, but I got shipped to Queens there to you go. open up a 10,000 square foot warehouse. Yeah. Um, and just- what, what, what was behind two to 11? Like from year yeah. one to year two, that's I'll, a hell of I'll take any else. of that advice. Yeah. So I, I, I learned a, a lot from him and it was, in, in this industry, it's very different in, in olive oil, but someone is gonna knock you off, so you might as well knock yourself off. So we were selling shirts to Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's, but we were also just knocking ourselves off and mm. just making the same product for Forever 21 and Off Saks Fifth Avenue and Nordstrom Private Label and just all the things that you don't get credit for. At the beginning of a business, you just have to build the foundation, you have to build the cash flow. And So were they being white labeled essentially? They were being white labeled, Got yeah. It. We would show up to Forever 21's office with 15 duffel bags just filled with flannel shirts and set up an entire room and there was this incredible buyer who would just flip through one by one and start writing down style numbers and order 10,000 of each of them. He'd yeah. order uh, 13 styles every th three weeks to deliver 10,000 of them. And it was just the like actual foundation of wow. the business that was the cool. cash flow that that, that, that cool. created. Wow. Um, so very shrewd, you know, yeah. businessman, my, my uncle and I, I basically got to grow with him and, and we grew that business to nine figures. Um, wow. And I saw everything from sales and you know business with Costco. I opened retail stores. I started our Shopify website in 2012. So I really touched everything, bank lending and licensing, well, lots, of different, lots of different operational experiences. Yeah. Um, Andrew was working at all of the darling startups. He was at Warby Parker early. He was the second or third employee at Casper where he worked for, right. I think, five or six years, most recently at Magic Spoon um, as their first employee. So um, we got we got introduced by a mutual friend who knew that Andrew had the idea for, you know, basically the Casper of olive oils. Let's, right. let's simplify it down to one or two SKUs, bring a better quality at a fair price and launch a digital first brand. And I came to the table saying, let's launch a digital, digital first brand, but build it in retail, right. where 99.999% of olive oil gets bought. And that's, I think, something that we did really early. We always had this retail first mentality that right. a lot of new brands yeah, kind of miss. You totally. know, they, they take two or three years to open their first yeah. store. And, and so um, what was the transition from working with your uncle to the, you know, getting involved with Graza? Um, I was ready for, for something new to, to do my own thing. We, 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 Andrew and I hopped on the phone. I think this was June 2021. Um, you were still at Jax? I was still at Jax and I was thrilled with the idea. I knew actually a lot about the problems and the fraud in olive oil. Right. Um, through a friend that has a little olive farm in, in Italy and brings cases over and I tried some of, of her product and it was 
fantastic and a huge difference, but that was, you know, that product was $50 for a 300 milliliter bottle. Um, when we talked about where this can go and what this product could be, it was quality, affordable price, fun branding. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in 15 minutes, we were both on board and, and ready to go. And I think I, I, you know, quit my job two weeks later after we signed a, a, a deal to, to do this together. And I was just thrown in. Andrew was already working with our marketers, which he stole from Magic Spoon, our branding agency, which he stole from Magic Spoon. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. say stole. They're, they're yeah, agencies. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're out there. But, um, you know, he had the whole team put together of, of how to make this product come to life. And, you know, the first, the first three to six months, we did everything together. We, we didn't divide responsibilities. We just went into everything together. We made every decision together. And actually our, our division of responsibilities happened really organically. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been a really great partnership. He's doing all of our product, all of our sourcing. He's in Spain. He has an amazing relationship with yeah. our suppliers. He knows what's going into the bottle. He knows the quality. He knows the cell structure of right. every olive varietal. He's really become a, an expert in the product, which you need to be. Um, does he's the the marketing brains of Graza, um, and he's also the CPG networker fundraiser. Right. Like because he's coming from that world where um, finance operations, sales, logistics, all the backbone stuff. It just split very very naturally and flannel. <laughs> yeah. What um, you guys both had really interesting pasts. Um, in longer ones than I'd say the average founders that we've had on here, what are some things that, or what are some of the most important things you, I think you learned from those previous experiences that you've has set up your success uh, when you started your own venture? Um, I mean, sales and cash flow is everything. That's that's the mentality that that I've always had and and got really like my business training was on. Sales are everything. They come first. They come second. They come third. Right. You know, you need them to keep the lights on. If we raised a billion dollars, I would still have this mindset of operating profit profitably and, you know, just shipping product. Good things happen when you're shipping product. As soon as that starts slowing down, you're you're in trouble. Yeah, um, yeah I would say there were two two things not dissimilar. One was, um, you know, product positioning. So to me, some of the more successful brands that I've come across sit somewhere at the intersection of novel and familiar. If you're overly novel, you tend to become a niche product. And if you're overly familiar, you tend to risk commoditization. But you also, where you sit on that sort of spectrum, I think has to be, you're doing something really interesting and different in an area that people say, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. I've had dried fruit before. I've right. had olive oil before. But subtle changes, and it could be obviously the quality of the raw material, but also the form factor, right? Like, what I think is so cool about, you know, Alan's product is the form factor. Right. Is that olive oil just, it stops you in your tracks, it's arresting, you know how to use it, right. so it's intuitive. It's not a huge educational lift. Yeah. The educational barrier really isn't there. Same with fruit, right? Dried fruit has been around for thousands of years. You'd bury grapes in the desert sun and you'd have raisins. Right. It's the ultimate, you know, uh, travel snack, but nothing new under the sun had been discovered or or innovated around besides raisins and prunes. And simple things like making it a snackable chip 
But right. instead of an apple chip, use orange chips, use peach chips, use them in different ways, dip them in hummus and guacamole. You know, think much more uh, you know, broad where consumer tastes are shifting as opposed to where they've been. Right. But do it with a canvas that is familiar. So novel and familiar was one lesson that I learned that we had some fringe skews and that you know, would help build the brand, but they wouldn't ultimately be the business builders, but they played a role. Right. And the other big lesson was I would totally underscore is sales. Like I just, you know, I was a financial analyst for 20 years and I didn't know how to sell a darn thing, right? right? I could research a company nine ways to Sunday. I could put together an incredibly comprehensive model and make a persuasive pitch to a portfolio manager. But when I walked into the door of a corner bodega, with a case of rind, and they said they liked it, and they wanted four cases, what's the price? I wasn't even prepared for that second question. <laughs> right. A full on your face moment, and you're just like, okay, I'm selling, and now right. I need to figure this out. Yeah. And as soon as you get into it and understand, all right, here's where I need to price this to make a margin so that this guy gets his take, this guy, you know, to figure out something that's viable and learn that and shore up what you don't know as a muscle, it was the beginning. Yeah. That was exciting. How, so how, um, obviously like you, you came up with ha like having those experiences. Yeah. So I think you probably came into it a bit more prepared. You talk about falling flat in your face a, a few times. <laughs> um, but like, how do you, what gave you the confidence I think, or how did you learn those skills quickly? Because obviously you talk about them being the most important things, but at the same time you, you didn't feel prepared for that. Yeah, I think so much of branding forgets the nitty gritty building blocks of a business. And, you know, especially today where you really, in the last five to 10 years, you could put up a Shopify storefront that's sleek and beautiful right. and have incredible content. And it's almost like you have brand before you have a business. We were one of those. We, you know, the branding, the naming, we, we worked really hard with a graphic design team to make this punch above its weight out of the gates. Um, and what I'd say is, you know, what you have to do though, for this to be bigger than a brand, is take the time to A, check your ego at the door, right? You may have been established in a different career path, but now you're starting from scratch. Right. And make sure you get your hands really dirty. You cannot outsource the selling proposition of your product. You need to be on the front lines, hearing the feedback, Understanding what yeah. works, what doesn't. Ruby from Noah, um, Noah from Ruby was on. I mean, that guy's demos every week. Everyone yes. on his team has to demo exactly. every single week. So. Exactly. Product does not move itself. Once it's on shelf, that's just the beginning. Yep. Right. There is a whole, you know, not just storytelling, but there is an entire ecosystem that I needed to familiarize myself with. I'm sure Alan did too. Still. And you're still learning. <laughs> still learning. It's yeah. like, yep. but it is just opening up the pathways of like learning a new industry as daunting as it is to start from zero all over again, it's like every day is just like yeah. an amazing choose your own adventure. Yeah. Who, was, who was your first retail account? Court Street Grocers, yes. Bleecker and LaGuardia. Okay. Um, incredible, they, they still carry us. They have an amazing sandwich, the number 13, the clean turkey, it's the best sandwich. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> these guys are just amazing. I went there because it was my corner sandwich shop and also they, they had like some hack where they also carried uh, craft brewery out of Brooklyn that no one that had no retail presence beyond the breweries called Other Half, which I come back <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. We did a collab with them. But um, so I was just like, this place is the best. And they had like Zaps potato chips 
and then a whole bunch of awesome sandwiches. And I was like, if, if I could get placement here, that's it. I'll be happy. Right, yeah. And I dropped off a couple cases, samples, whatever, and that's they were the first to come back that's and say, awesome. we want some. And I was like, okay, Amazing. let me figure out a do price you, for this. Do you remember yours? Uh, it was Yowie in Philadelphia. <laughs> it, was, it was, again, before we launched. We had two accidental sales before we launched. One was to a restaurant, Suerte, in Austin okay. that, that Andrew and I were just eating at. Andrew and Mitchell? No, Andrew, Andrew oh. Bennon, Andrew, my partner. Andrew um, comes in later, right? At Andrew comes point. in later, yep. Um, we're visiting Austin, and um, we were told we had to go to Suerte, and it was a Monday night. We were waiting an hour for a table, and they have an open kitchen, so Andrew and I were just watching the kitchen work its magic and drooling over everything, and right. one, of the, one of the sous chefs was just like, what are you guys doing? We were like, tell us what to order. We want to know your full lineup of you here, and they... He laid out the whole game plan for us to order, and then at the end he was like, what do you guys do? We're like, oh, we've got an olive oil brand we're launching soon. We gave him a bottle, and he called us the next day and said, we want to buy this. This is amazing. How much is it? And we told him the price, and he's like, this is better than what we buy, and this is cheaper than what we buy. And that was our first $250 that we shipped him, a big <laughs> five-liter jug of, yeah. of drizzle. And then uh, a couple weeks later, Shannon from Yowie, which is a really amazing boutique in, in Philadelphia, called us, she saw us on snack shots or thing testing. Yeah, one of the one of the right. um, you know We're moving the, in with thing testing. I oh mean, amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. That's cool. Um, so one of the outlets that was like covering our launch and she was like, Do you have anything to ship me? And I was like, look, this has been hand filled. Like yeah, we yeah. have we have a dozen samples left um, from what we were shipping to influencers. It was right around Christmas time. So we're like, all right, I'll ship it to you and we shipped her um, in I think it was like December twentieth. She called us the next day and was like, it sold out. Do you have any more? <laughs> okay. And we shipped her literally our last influencer bottles that, that we had yeah. that we were planning for our launch. She called me the next day and said, it sold out. I was like, oh, shit. We're, Man, we're on it. That was, that I, like, was, I like how you were debating. You're like, influencer bottles yep. or a sale? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? Let's just do the sale. Let's yeah. just sell this. Do the sale. And it was like the ultimate validation that, yeah. that someone who doesn't know this brand is willing to like pick it up, read the label, and actually yeah. purchase it. Totally. Try. Powerful. Has so, it changed much since launch? Um, a couple of details on the label. You know, we, we asked Shannon and we asked... Catherine from Big Night, what's the feedback? Like when people are in the store, are they picking it up? Have they seen it before? Like what does someone who has never heard of the brand ask when they're looking at it? And they're always telling us people are confused why the small bottle is more expensive than the big bottle. So we did some really small label mm. updates Got right it. before it was hitting the shelves at Whole Foods and, and other retailers to try and make it a little bit more <laughs> intuitive and, and self-explanatory, but that's... Right. You know, it's an amazing thing to have a relationship with a retailer who is on the floor every day interacting with customers, and you really have to take that feedback yeah. and, and apply it if you're yeah. going to try and do things at a bigger scale. When you guys were building your respective brands, were there specific brands you looked to for inspiration? I know Magic Spoon probably had some influence, but I'm curious if there was anyone, like maybe Imperfect Produce, did you, did you aspire to be or take inspiration from any of those brands at the time? Yeah, you know, I. I really started this in 2017, so it was less about some of the brands that have come on the scene lately and more at the time. There was no more successful platform brand in natural than Kind. Okay. Um, it helped that we rhymed. <laughs> <So> <laughs> kind of a happy accident. I actually met 
Daniel Lubetsky, the founder of Kind, before Shark Tank fame, at yeah. the Fancy Food Show. And I saw him at Expo. Yeah, he came yeah. over to our booth. This was in Great 2018. Guy. Great guy, absolute inspiration. And again, like Kind Bar, they, they changed the game. And what I loved was how he did build a platform. I, it really wasn't Kind Bar, it was Kind. Right. And everything was like captured in the name and the vibe and I wanted that to be real and authentic with what we were doing so in a very small way I'd say that was that was inspiration but you know the brands like Kind and Chobani um, a little bit later Kodiak Cakes I mean they're just like platform brands that built great brands and great businesses. Chobani to me is a is a big hero brand I thought that they did for yogurt exactly what we're trying to do for olive oil. They're saying Greek yog yogurt is amazing. Yogurt is healthy. Like yogurt is one of the like key elements to, you know, Mediterranean right. food. Mm. Danon, you know, blueberry bullshit flavored with tons of added sugar isn't the yogurt that totally. is healthy and right. good. The same way that we're saying olive oil is amazing. It's healthy. It's the thing that you need. Like XYZ, I'm not naming any names, but like this blended three-year-old oil that's from five different countries is not the healthy olive oil that they're consuming in Italy and Spain and Turkey and all of these places where, right. you know, they live to a hundred and are super slim and, and, and tan and attractive. Um, <laughs> you know, the other brands to me are Casper. You know, I, I thought that we really wanted to simplify what can be a confusing and overwhelming category if you walk into a supermarket and stand in front of an olive oil set there's 50 brands one is eight dollars one is forty dollars this one's from argentina this one's from spain this one's from italy it's like, like wine it's exactly like wine yeah. it's yeah. confusing what am i supposed to buy like how could one product have an eight dollar version and a forty dollar version so we really wanted to simplify it into these are the two things that you need just make this decision of graza and that's the only decision that you need to make in olive oil and can then get, can we turn this into wine form factor next it's a lot of commonalities it, it hasn't eh, it's a nice, nice distribution it's, it's, nice, nice method of it's on the long list of what should we I'll do next i'll take a magnum it's on the list of of what should we do next at a boy you just added you just added Good. 35 wow, days to your actually life actually fire <laughs> <laughs> not surprising uh, yeah, let's just get wine yeah. in this bitch. We'll be yeah. all good. It's coming. Because <laughs> it has that issue. Like, I, you know, I go to wine, wine shows and I'm like, this one's like a million dollars. We've talked about it. There was actually, uh, I think there were 800. April Fools, there, were, there were 800 bottles of wine ready to go with Graza branding on it. No out way. Of Spain wow. We just like, we couldn't figure out the licensing and the distribution. We, we wanted to sell it on our site and it's just complicated. Yeah. A lot more complicated to do than, wow. than oil. Um, fruit is tough too. I mean, fruit is taming mother nature and trying to standardize uh, something that <laughs> varies season to season, crop to crop, yeah. is a fool's errand. So it's kind of why we embrace, you know, the variations in a natural product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to deal with whatever the harvest has given you and you make it work. Um, but I think, I, think that's that, a, I think that's an asset these days. I is. think people are finally realizing that agricultural products yeah. change over time. They change season to season. Like if yeah. anything is consistent, it's yeah. because it's loaded with salt or it's yes. just artificially mm, that's so flavored. Interesting. You're so right about they're that. Used that's so to, and it's flipped, right? Because there used to be more trust if a product was homogenous and right. looked consistent from batch to batch. And now it's 
tremendous distrust because it's obvious that would be heavily processed right. to get that way. And it was happening in fruit snacks where you would have you know, every single pineapple or apple ring would be A, stripped of the most nutritious part, the rind, <laughs> and B, pumped full of sulfites for better color and added sugar for, you know, consistent sweetness. And it was sort of like, this is just candy, let's not call this fruit. Right, and we're right. hooking kids on something that's really crap for them. So. Yeah. So, you mean to tell me that I can integrate my shop with you in less than a minute? You store all my inventory across your 50-plus fulfillment centers in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe, and Australia, and then fulfill all of my orders globally with over a 99% order accuracy rate? That's right. We do that for over 7,000 brands today. And you can do that for all my D2C, B2B, and Amazon orders? Yep. And when my next TikTok video goes viral or during the holiday rush, you can grow with me forever? Yes, again. Dang. That's the ship, Bob. Check out ShipBob at ShipBob.com to unlock your fulfillment provider that acts as your personal chief supply chain officer. All right, so I want to get uh, into stop two, which is going to be our brand-specific questions. And Alan, I wanted to go back to you here and talk about Graza's launch and go-to-market. Um, it's one that was very well received, and I mean, you, you sort of teed it up a little bit with um, how quickly adoption was in the beginning, but there was an influencer strategy. I mean, it went crazy on social. So what went into all that pre-planning? Is that something you expected to happen? And, and how did you just think about going to market with a new product? Sure, I mean, nothing. Of, of course, this is how we expected it to happen. Like, we're gonna send some bottles to some people and hopefully a few of them post about it. and people will respond to it, but the scale of which it happened and the speed at which it happened, I mean, we would be lying if yeah. we said this was all really, you know, planned out and executed according to, to what we thought, but... And how, we, did, how did you, like, figure out what would be the strategy? That you you sent how many bottles? Like, who did you pick? We, 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 had, a, we had a party um, in November where we brought some friends and and our wives to our office late one night and ordered some pizzas and Andrew had flown from Spain to New York with liters I think like 400 liters of oil right. in his in his carry-on suitcases and Is we that had uh, Not in the carry-on. Each one was the in a less than three ounce vial. For personal yeah. consumption, it's, yeah. it's, it's legal. And you just said, olive oil has, I mean, Spain has great olive oil. This is all for me. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we had some bottles from our supplier. We didn't have the factory ready yet to put oil into bottles. So we were hand-pouring bottles and labeling mm. them and induction sealing them. And, um, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to seed this out to as many people as possible. So I think we, I think we probably hand-filled and shipped close to a thousand influencer packages and media packages before we launched. And, you know, we knew two things. We knew that the quality, when people got it, if they followed the instructions, we were handwriting notes and everything, please, like, open the bottle, smell it, pour it into a cup, look at the color, taste it, do this with something else that you have. Like we know that our product is better quality than what's out there, especially what's out there at this price point. So right. um, we knew that if people tried it, they would love it. The other thing we knew was that our bottle really stands out and right. that all of these people are making a ton of food content 
they're using olive oil in a lot of them. Even if they didn't post about Graza, we knew that eventually one day our little green nozzles would show up in their videos one way or another. Yeah. Um, and and that was really the launch plan. It was it was get it into as many hands as possible. How did you select the influencers? Was it all like food specific influencers? So or? so you know Kendall who does all of our social. Whenever Shout she out Kendall. whenever <laughs> she gets sick. She is the most effective worker <laughs> ever. She gets sick. You can tell when she's sick because our Instagram DMs just have like 300 outbound messages wow. to, oh my God. you know, the smallest influencers, but also to Guy Fieri and Barack right, Obama right, right, right. and Molly Buzz. And like, we just learned to shoot our shots. We message everyone, do you want to try our olive oil? Yep. And so many people respond. Yeah. Right. Um, even when we were known, even when we, we had, you know, a thousand followers who were all of our friends, um, people were responding to, to our cold outreach and we were just sending packages and, and hoping for the best. Yeah. Would, were there any particular standouts that you like viscerally recall, like as it started to come together and you, you got the posts? I mean, Molly Baz changed Graza. And who's Molly? Molly is, uh, an ex, uh, Bon Appetit. Okay. Um, you know, food developer and recipe developer. She launched a cookbook that mm. was a New York Times bestseller. She has one of the strongest followings on, on social media of any food, food creators. And like her food is really fucking dope. Like yeah. it's really, really good. Um, we sent her a message that got read and then left on read for for a long time. And then Sick Kendall, I think, uh, DM'd <laughs> her again like three days before we launched and she responded with an address and I wrote out a really like heartfelt, heartfelt message yeah. and sent her the box. And I think the day after launch day, she posted that Graza's about to change the game in olive oil and our sales and traffic went wow. insane. And an hour later, uh, Monica from Whole Foods, our buyer, DM'd us cool. and said, Amazing. are you interested in working with Whole Foods? And we we're like, yes, Monica, we are very interested <laughs> yeah. in working with you Whole Foods. You have like her yeah. picture up back in yeah. the office. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, we were waiting. We, for we, 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 we talk about it. Where would we be if, if she didn't post right. you know, yeah. on, on the second yeah, we day? Had a lot of those. Would, we, would we be in Whole Foods right now? How long would it have taken to build that totally. relationship? I was coming in as the retail expert. I was like, I'll get us into this and this. this yeah, place. you look I'd, great I'd at this. No fucking this right point. Yeah, yeah. You're looking real <laughs> good. I'm looking very, very smart and have actually done very little. We're right in front of it. There we go. And so, Matt, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had an experience with Whole Foods. And, yeah. And, um, I sort of want to talk about the step back, but you know something that you were able to overcome as you sort of, so just talk us through the evolution of your relationship with that organization. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know this one really well behind us. <laughs> I would self-distribute the Whole Foods in and around New York City that we were lucky enough to get on shelf. Even ones we weren't, I tried to force my way in. Right. Um, look, when you're starting out, there's no greater incubation lab for uh, a product that's trying to do something different, change the game with better ingredients and a, you know, a more sustainable focus than Whole Foods. And for me, I love nothing more than walking a Whole Foods. I could do that much to my wife and kids, you know, uh, you know, scornful looks. I love walking a museum of food. It's just, it's right. endless fun. And um, so my personal experience was we were, the trade shows were really, the vehicle that got rhymed on the map. And I firmly believe in when other entrepreneurs in the industry ask like, you know, what do you, what do you advise, what do you recommend? I feel like 
the last two years of, of COVID were really difficult because they didn't have that in-person connection to a physical product. So we had that initial start from the Summer Fancy Food Show in 2018. I would run from my office job in Midtown Manhattan to the Javits Center to man the booth. It was exhilarating. And it was at that show that I met uh, our Whole Foods buyer for their 365 concept at the time, which was like their kind of Trader Joe's killer. Right. So it wasn't their private label brand, it was their retail right, right, brand, right, 365. Right. They had 12 of these stores, and the buyer loved our product, in particular the dried persimmon. And he said, uh, you know, next thing I know, he said, can you ship direct to stores? Like, we weren't even in the UNFI system. We were kind of like, off the off the grid, right? And one of those stores was in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, which I would go and deliver um, and figure out loading docks, and I became best friends with all the receiving guys in the back. Um, and the other one was this one. This wasn't a 365, but this one I finagled my way onto shelf as well. And I used to go in around the other side like with this, like a hand this cart. Door? Oh yeah, this store, like the one right here. This store right here. I'd oh, go man. in. I'd go Good in. Good job, on, team. And yeah, I'd go in on yeah. It was like Twenty Fourth Street actually. So yeah. there was like a separate entrance. Maybe it was Twenty Fifth. And um, oh yeah, the receiving guys. I just have like the most amateur looking paperwork, and I'd be like, I'm here dropping off a brand rep with Rind, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's no spot for you on shelf. I'm like, no, no, no. I think we're next to these guys. You know, it just this is kind of you. You fake it till you make it. Right. But. Um, Fast forward, we're now in Whole Foods Global, which is really exciting, which means we're in all stores. It says global, I don't know that we're in the Kensington High Street store <laughs> yeah. in London, but that'd be dope. We are in some Canadian stores, but an incredible organization um, with a real merchandising backbone. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has been engineered out of the grocery industry, which is the magic. And there is an art to merchandising and giving brands that are doing something totally different a audience and a platform, and so incredibly grateful for you know the first Whole Foods placements that we had. So, Alan, I want to talk about the novel nature of Graza. I think there's a lot that's unique about the form factor, um, and at this point, it's sort of become iconic. So, you know, talk us through, I guess, how you were thinking of disrupting the space and trying to to find a way to stand stand out on the shelf. Yeah. So there's there's you know there's two parts to that. The, the bottle is what we're famous for. The bottle is what stands out. The bottle is the reason that we're so recognized on social media and on shelf. Right. Um, and that, that came from, you know, kitchens. That came from restaurant kitchens. Every single restaurant kitchen you've ever been to takes their olive oil from a big plastic jug and pours it into a smaller plastic I, squeeze I bottle. I do the same. I, I, and I so I don't do it for a squeeze bottle. I had one of those like a uh, glass The glass with things. the spout. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But in the restaurant industry, you're saying the cook, the chefs. The chefs use, the chefs use squeeze you bottles. You see it in the, like the street meat carts too. They got the. Everyone, everyone. Everyone who is cooking at scale does this. Got with, it. With not only just olive oil, with all of their oils and a lot of their sauces. Right. It's just so precise, it's easy to use, it's mm. clean, it's lightweight. Um, and we realized that that was just a huge opportunity to be different on this shelf of sameness. You right. know, every single bottle on that shelf is in a dark, dark green plastic or glass, picture of a farm, picture of an old, you know, 200 year old Italian right, guy right. on the front. And we want to bring just a more modern brand with a functional bottle to the market. And then 
the other thing in disrupting it was was truly just offering this quality at this price point. Um, we're and learning. How are you able to pull that off? It's not like you got to think someone's tried to pull off that level of quality at that price point. I think that people have tried to pull it off, but they haven't succeeded because everyone has always put location as the main driver of their brand, right? This is from this farm in this country with this varietal. And that's just not enough to make people change their minds and try something new. Um, right. We're really, really proud of the quality that we're putting in this bottle and where it comes from, but it's, it's really not too, doesn't take up much space on our actual bottle. Um, you know, what we're promising is that it's fresh, it's from one place, it's from one farm, it's unblended, it's from the most recent harvest. Right. It's from a place that produces by far the most olive oil in the world, but we're not putting that front and center. And our supplier is shocked by us too. He said every year some Americans come and they're Try like, we're to gonna make Spanish out. olive yeah. oil a thing. And you know, Spain produces 50 to 60% of the world's olive oil every year, but they're just really shitty at marketing. Right. Everyone thinks that Italy makes all the olive oil and the best olive oil. Right. Italy makes amazing olive oil. They make between seven and nine percent of the world's wow. olive oil every year. And that's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was, and and it's incredible what they yeah. what they do make if it's fresh, if it's, it's unblended. But you know the the Italy brand is what is taking up ninety percent of the shelf space. Yeah. But none of that product is actually coming from Italy, or very little of it is blended in from from Italy. And you know, so bringing a new, fun brand with this quality is is what's making it move so quickly. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Matt, I, I want to turn it back over to you here. And, um, you know, you're too humble, so I'll do it for you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ryan was recently named the Fast Company's most innovative companies list alongside NASA. And yes, so I want to I want to talk <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about, you know, when you were building the business, I don't know, just like, how did you end up there? Did you ever expect to end up there? And I, I think what I'm angling towards, I want to talk about the impact that's, that's core to your business. Yeah. Uh, it was a surprise to us uh, to be named the most innovative company alongside some very, <laughs> very innovative companies, aerospace, engineering. Yeah, they were listed next to dried fruit. Look, removing water from fruit is not innovative in and of itself. I think what we have done differently is similar to a lot of successful pathways for consumer products, which is don't overthink it, but make sure you have a point of difference. And if you don't, you will always be at risk of being a private label or a commodity. If you want right. to build something branded, make sure there is a unique angle to your story. You know, Graza is known for premium liquid and a unique form factor that was doing something different than anyone else, 90 plus percent on shelf. With rind, the rind, the peel of the fruit, which is nature's most nutrient dense uh, layer, was being treated as a byproduct. It was a waste product. And so it would be discarded in the name of aesthetics or uniformity when you would never waste the most you know, potent, nutritious part of anything. Right. Um, so we elevated that. We took the humble peel and made it our hero, and it made all the difference. And it was an intuitive concept um, that if that in, in and of itself is considered innovative, just by changing the conversation around a largely commodity private label category and saying, there's a different way of doing things, our go-to-market strategy is different, 
our branding is different, our focus on sustainability is different, where no one had even taken the time to quantify the impact of edible peels and the waste that they represent unnecessarily on the food system. Right. But it's an incredible number. It's 10 billion pounds. Right. Um, which is almost 10% of total food waste is overripe produce and discarded peels. And so what if we could you know, make the end of one supply chain the beginning of another? And yeah. that was the idea. And that's why you know, we are far more innovative than NASA. <laughs> yeah, and you know, a, a million a million pounds of edible fruit waste in 2022. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. Yeah, um, and, and so Matt, you talk a lot about authenticity, and I think like you know having a stance and, and trying to do things differently. You, I want to, Alan, I want to get back to you and talk about the apology note, and I know it's just like a a moment in time, but I do think it speaks to something more about brand building in the modern era because of you know humanizing the brand, not making it feel like it's some people in a tower and like amorphous five, Fortune 500 company trying to be exploitive. And, and something that was really interesting, we'll talk about the retail story later, but you know, Kim Pham from Omsom was on here and we were talking about retail and, and like how they had to rebuild their business. And when they made one subtle tweak, they put a picture of her and her sister on the packaging. Mm. And that made all the difference because people would could understand the authenticity and like it humanized the product in, in a way that it hasn't before. So I'd love for you to just share the Apology Nut story um, and why it was so well received. Sure. I mean, it was it was a hell of a fourth quarter for us in the best way possible, right? right. Our, our growth was explosive. We had just turned on paid ads in October, which really started our volume going up. Um, we had our first sale in November, which doubled that volume. We were on, I think, like three to 400 gift guides in December, which doubled that volume again. And we were just starting to ship Whole Foods Global. No one puts branded trucks on the gift guides. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just start, I have to scale up the, it's toy, a powerful the, toy, tool. the toy part of what we do. You do, you do. You can make the new Hess truck. You're right, it's right, the right. Agile truck like with brands that. on it. There you go. Like um, anyway, so, you know, we were shipping at just a much higher volume than we had at any point in the company's history. And little things were going wrong. There was nothing catastrophic, but there were a ton of little things here. This bottle is dented. Our labels were, were flaking off. Like we, we were guaranteeing Christmas deliveries by, if you ordered by this date, which was a little bit earlier than other people. And we hit all of that, but so many people after the fact were just emailing that we ruined their Christmas um, because it was it was late. So just a ton of little things. And, and as you are, you know, in the weeds and I'm reading every single customer service letter, you know, still to this day, it just starts to have a really, really negative effect. And, and Andrew was, you know, not in the ops and not dealing with a lot of these problems and just saw this this weight on me. And he was like, what's going on? And I said, you know, I'm getting so much negative feedback for the first time. And we went through the list of problems and, you know, we, we realized, okay, we have to make sure that we don't do these again, but let's also maybe communicate about it. And, and Andrew, if, if any of you have the pleasure of knowing him, he is a world-class texter. He, <laughs> he is a professional text messenger. What does that um, mean? He just has his iMessage open and is having like 40 conversations at a time. And like 
the biggest conversation that you could ever have while also like catching up with friends and checking in on babies, but also getting the, you know, CEO of Chipotle's phone number and texting him. Like he's just a professional texter. And, you know, I've always encouraged him to take that approach of communication totally. with our customers. Yeah. Um, and every time we've sent an email out from our founders at graza.co address, we've gotten amazing responses. So we talked about it. Um, we asked a bunch of our investors, do you, you know, these were our problems. Should we send a, a, an email out? We asked our PR firm. Everyone said, no, don't do it. I was like, Andrew, just, just send it. Like if it feels right, write yeah. it and send it. And right. I came in the next morning. He's like, I think I emailed 38,000 people. And <laughs> you know, we got, we got eight or 900 responses that were just like so complimentary yeah. and, and, just lifted our spirits and lifted our warehouse's spirits and lifted our team spirits and we shared them with everyone and and one of the recipients of that email happened to be a journalist um, and he emailed us it was right when Southwest had like fucked up right. everyone's holiday travel and I think gave everyone like 2,500 bonus miles um, as an apology and he was like I want to write about this there's a big difference between your ability to apologize for things that don't seemingly <laughs> seem very, mm. you know, important, um, but you did it in a really unique way. Like, again, it was not proofread. There were, you know, <laughs> there are typos. Like, it was just Andrew texting. Right. 38,000 Send people. another apology about yep. the grammar. Um, yeah. And versus this, like, really, really corporate statement and, right. you know, compensating people for it. We didn't right. compensate anyone. We were like, if you want to, here's, like... Right. A discount code and half of our responses said I will not be using this discount code yeah, you know it, it was really just authentic and a really important interaction that you know I, I think at any point in our business we need to keep up and you know I, I, I always encourage Andrew to communicate if he feels it like if his instinct is we have to say something we should say something yeah. like it doesn't matter what the experts say we're we're where we are because we're just trusting our human instincts. We want to be... I, I love yeah. this angle, if I can just build on it. Yeah. Like, I think what this does is it infuses a brand with soul and heart, right? And it sounds kind of hokey or whatever, but so many people just want a little bit of connection and they want to know that their complaint, their experience, it's just, it's heard and it's not filed away and has an immediate Zendesk auto-response. Yeah. Totally. Nothing against Zendesk. But I think at the earliest stages of brand building, and it gets harder as you grow, but totally. the best companies, whether through their founders, infusing the brand with uh, the, the cultural charge or the, the, you know, whatever it is that drives it, we have the same philosophy. And right. you know, every single customer service email that goes to hello at goes to me. Right. And it wasn't until this year that we hired like a CX totally. you know, ace because I wanted to know all of our blind spots and I wanted all of them to be responded to by the CEO. And you know, I just think that's really, really powerful. And it may not seem like the greatest and highest use of anyone's time, but it's the most important because it's you're building a direct one-to-one -one with your most ardent power users totally. or somebody who never was a fan and then becomes a super fan because of an amazing experience. That's yeah. a take every moment out of your day to build it that way and good things will come. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and you know, Jake Carls was on the show earlier and something that made, amazed me about his business, I was doing my thing where I send mocked up trucks to try and win business, you know, just scrapping along. 
And instead of a like, hey, thanks, we sent it along to marketing, someone will reach out if interested, I got a like two audio notes. One was like two and a half minutes, one was like 15 seconds. The first one was uh, whoever was running social, like telling people from their team, come over, come over, like come look at this. And you heard them like <laughs> react, like, oh my God, that's so sick. And then the second one was just like, hey, like I just want to say thank you. This like really brought some joy to our days. And I don't even care if we do business. I learned a lot from that experience, but yeah. like I, I'm now a fan of that brand because um, of how, I don't know, they, they just made me uh, feel like authentic. Like there was some, there's someone, there's people behind this brand yep. and I want to connect with you. And then the other thing, you, you talked about um, like recovering gracefully. I'm like, a, I'm a big psychology wonk and something I learned that I thought was fascinating, and this, this probably speaks to why their apology thing works as well, and you can't do this repeatedly, but if someone is, when I was at MasterCard, there was a huge CX, like customer service organization, and something that we learned was there's actual like proof and psychology and data on this. If someone has a bad experience with you, but you recover gracefully, the loyalty and outcome that they feel actually ends up higher than if you never made a mistake at all. Oh. And so there's, like, we always had this mantra at McMaster about like, we're always gonna try our best, but what matters most is when things go wrong, we recover gracefully because you can win back and, and like you know tie that customer to the brand if if you do the right thing. So it's one more point on this. I think the inclination is the opposite of most businesses, where it's whatever problems you have or mistakes you have, you do not want to bring them to the fore. You don't right. want to be the spokesperson for that. Exactly, you sort of hide it, which is probably the worst thing that you can do, and creates a sort of a terrible culture of like right. concealment suppression versus bring it into the sun and show how you're building it, the mistakes you're making authentically. It's what could be more relatable than that. And right. Danny Meyer in, in his book, he talked about the influence, I think it was his grandfather or his uncle had on him about the companies, you know, he's built the ultimate name in hospitality and food service that you know, the company that is ultimately the most successful isn't the one with the fewest problems. Every business is gonna have a shit totally. ton of problems. It's how you handle and address those problems along the way. And do right. you do it quickly? Do you do it consistently? Do you do it honestly? And it just sticks with me. It's like, it, you cannot pull off what we're trying to achieve and build brands and resonance with the consumer without screwing up totally. a lot. Yeah, And it's how you, almost make what would be a liability an asset, like a apology or speak directly about, we screwed up, yeah. here's how we're gonna make it better. I believe in that power of that, like, that comeback, that right. win back yeah. can be super powerful. But for you also, we have to make sure that we do everything that we said. We were Abs do. Absolutely. You can't apologize. Yeah, I to apologize every I, I think quarter. I tweeted yeah. about yeah. that reality and someone yeah. was like, can we exploit that? And I was like, I don't <laughs> think it, ha I think right. if you keep screwing up, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. it starts to have diminishing marginal yeah. utility. Expecting. Yeah. Where's our first quarter apology? Yeah. <laughs> Over 7,000 customers like Pet Lab, Chamberlain Coffee, Hero Cosmetics, Spike Ball, Dossier, TB12, Pit Viper, 100 Thieves. Tens of millions of packages shipped every year. 50 plus fulfillment centers across the US, Canada, UK, Europe, and Australia. An app store with 50 plus integrations like Shopify, Amazon, NetSuite, and many more. Managed inventory distribution, D2C and B2B fulfillment capabilities, 99.96% of order shipping on time, 99.95% order accuracy rate. Yep, we're talking about ShipBob again. We know picking a fulfillment partner or 3PL is not easy. And equally importantly, we know you never wanna have to move or pick another one. That's why we partnered with ShipBob. 
From zero to 100 million in sales, ShipHop has you covered. Getting into stop three here, and I'm a little hungry, so I'm gonna, you know, it's been a long route. Let's I'm go. I'm gonna open some of these orange chips here. Other side, tear nachos. I'm sorry. <laughs> First of all, before you get in there, just smell. Yeah, it smells, it smells awesome. This is like an orange, bro. Yeah. Make sure my mic gets the crunch. Let's get it. I mean, I, I could hear that in space. Fire. <laughs> NASA called. So NASA has called. <laughs> this is better than astronaut ice cream. They're so good. Yeah. So, what are we eating? Give us the give us the breakdown. Yeah. So look, this is uh, it's a highly processed snack uh, with one single ingredient: oranges, uh, dried <laughs> beautifully with the rind on, which has again the most potent vitamins and bioavailability of any part of the fruit. More vitamin C, more fiber, and yet it's one of the most commonly discarded food scraps. So it's a kick-ass snack, but a lot of what I think is working in our favor is that there is a charcuterie board movement. There is a mm. subculture around craft cocktails yeah. where you elevate the garnish as much as the liquid. And I think people, at least when I would go out to a bar and have an amazing Negroni or Old Fashioned, it was like a $15 drink because of the theater yeah, 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 of this yeah. thing. And I was just crunching on this. I'm like, you got a bowl of this yeah. to go with this? Right. And I think it's an untapped area for us. But what I love about that is we're not looking to make a better fruit roll-up to target kids. Right. It's go after the cool moms and right. dads and, and surprise and delight them with flavors and tanginess that they haven't found in raisins. Yeah. All right. So I, I think that's a good segue. So stop three brand intersection questions. I think... My question to both of you is, neither of you are in new categories. Um, you know, dry fruit has existed for a while, olive oil, we've talked about it. And so I really just want to think about what elements were you thinking of for people who might be you know, interested in starting a brand, uh, like disrupting a long entrenched incumbent um, with novel products? Uh, I'll start. Um, look, I think What's exciting about a category that is super sleepy uh, is that a little kick in the pants can go a long way. Right. Um, you know, I think what was totally missing from the incumbents was any excitement, any sense of innovation beyond the same dried fruits and worse, adding cheaper inputs to increase the weight of that fruit with cheaper components like sugar and preservatives. Right. So for us to come in, preaching a story that was, let's go back to snacking at its roots, literally, and let's use fruits that are not the usual suspects. Everyone has had raisins and prunes and apricots. Let's I don't really like those, I do love these. <laughs> exactly, because palates have changed. Right. Generation, you know, my kids are growing up putting sriracha on everything, they'll put gras on everything, right. they'll put Szechuan chili crisp on everything. Their palates and taste buds don't want milk and Ovaltine or whatever, they want like supercharged flavor bomb. Right. Not that this is, but an orange and a bright citrus, they're not drinking OJ anymore. Right. Here they can crunch their OJ and use it as a vehicle the way you would a cracker or a chip, but far healthier. And I think it's just keeping up with taste preferences. And when your companies were being run by big conglomerates who just kept saying, let's just push out more raisins and prunes, and figure out how to mush them together into a ball or a bar or a bite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Right. Like, that's not real innovation. 
Um, that's just like creating as much, squeezing as much margin as you can versus let's do something different. Let's focus around the power of the peel and let's use fruits and flavors that people want, like watermelon and kiwi and peach and orange, so. Have you seen any of them sort of realize what's happening, like the shift in the movement and try, trying to? We get this question so much, which is, why can't anyone else do this? Like single ingredient fruit. We have an increasing number of products that are a little more value added with spices and seasons. Yeah, for sure. I'd argue any, and maybe Alan and I have a similar business in that respect, right. you know, where it's like one ingredient, mm -hmm. right? Anything in food can be reverse engineered, including Coca-Cola's trade secret, but it's very different to say, so, so there's no moat or barrier, arguably, to kind of anything in food. Um, it's not to say there isn't IP, right. but there's no true moat. So how do you build moat? Well, you do it through unique culture, through connections with consumers, with a vein of innovation where you're not afraid to take risks and shots, like an orange chip with chili lime seasoning that right. none of the big guys would ever go into because it's not a proven market yet. You have to go out and prove yeah, there is a it. market for what they believe to be niche, niche, and therefore they're not going to take risks. They're not set up or incentivized to take risks, right. which is why it's the story of the innovator's dilemma. I mean, totally. it's, it's why we, as just idea, you know, take an idea create a beta product and excite the market and get real feedback real quickly and understand, okay, there was a bigger need here than we thought and we're tapping into it. Yeah, what about you? I mean, for, for us, when it's, a, when it's a huge category that's sleepy, everyone is lazy. Everyone right. is yep. set, this is the way it is. And it takes a lot to, to disrupt that, you know? It took a big brand moment, it took a really unique bottle, especially in the supply chain. The supply chain is just so established. It took a lot of work and effort and investment and tooling to get a premium olive oil producer to put that in a squeeze bottle. Right. Um, Andrew says it's like going to Burgundy and asking them to put that wine into a squeeze bottle. Um, <laughs> you need someone to take a take a risk on you, but right. the the when people are just set in their ways, that's when there's the biggest opportunity because while the consumer is set, whoever is making that product is trying to find ways to make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And that's usually just reducing quality. Yeah. Um, and that's what's happened. I don't know if these brands that own 90% of the market were making a better quality product 20 or 30 years ago, but what, right. they're, what they're shipping today is just not something that anyone should be proud of. And because they are the legacy brands, they win the market. Right. So it takes something extra. It takes the squeeze bottle and the fun branding and the characters and the oil with the spout to, right. you know, to shake up something. And the costumes. And the costumes. <laughs> and the did costumes. Kendall, did Kendall Ford do my text of like, can, do you have, do you, you've seen their costumes? I've seen their costumes. I, I, want, I wanted to do the whole interview just wearing the costume. Yeah. <laughs> I would, would have you, brought my pineapple suit if you wanted that. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> I think we would have gotten a few more sticks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, <laughs> you, you, you need that. Amazing. You need that loud moment. Yeah. yeah. To get something better through. The but, reason that we are standing out is the bottle. The reason that we are growing and getting repeat purchases is because of the quality. Right. So you have to have something like that's right. fundamentally a, a better. Hook. I like yeah, what yeah. Alan's saying though, which is that like it's very easy when you're not in the trenches every day building, that it's like, oh, olive oil in a squeeze bottle, cool branding, fruit chips, you yeah. know, with oranges instead of apple chips in a chip bag, okay. 
It's easy, right? I can do that. We'll go do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So to this point about like laziness and I think most, you know, what you see in a store and the effort and work and grueling, you know, uh, storyline that had to bring that product to fruition is so daunting. Right. Where to even begin? That it's just so easy to say, if it's a good idea, someone else will have figured it out and done it. Yeah, talk but is that's, cheap. That's like, exactly. Like, that's the reason why entrepreneurs are working on ideas every day that will be the next crop of amazing brands yeah. in there. Because yeah. there's always an opening. There's totally. always white space. It's just, it's on, it, incumbent on you to just... Outdoor advertising is the oldest thing exactly. that's ever existed, right? But you <laughs> said, stop making excuses. I'm going to throw my hat into the ring with a point of difference. Right. And I'm going to hell or high water make this work right absolutely so another thing that i thought was really interesting overlap of your businesses is supply chains and i think something i sort of want to demystify for the audience is the complexities of building a company when there's just volatility and seasonality and so you know i'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on <laughs> and, and, and i don't know if it's informed your SKU development to a degree matt of like hey like there's this rotational mm -hmm. play that we've built around it but i'd love to hear you guys both sort of speak on those those complexities i mean too I, much trauma we you know <laughs> we're back both to, trying to tame mother nature back to back to right. my back to my brilliant timing of you know, first graduating with a finance degree in, in 2009, we, we launched an olive oil business and in our first full year of business, there was the worst harvest in Spain in <laughs> was that the 400 years. Was that the giant fire thing? No, nothing to, do with, nothing to do with fire, it was just dry. It didn't rain last year. Uh, basically the rain in the first half of the year determines how the harvest is gonna be. The harvest in Spain is October through January, February. Right. And right now we're just like praying for rain. If it rains a lot by June 1, it's gonna be a great harvest. If it rains a little bit, it's gonna be an okay harvest. We've already gotten more rain than, uh, than last year at this time. So, you know, but our, you know, our, our first year was last year. Our first full year is this year and our, our cost of goods has almost doubled on on one of the products and there's just nothing that we can do about it right you know other than cheapen the product or right. buy a shittier product or buy old product but that's just not what we're going to do and at this point in the business we can't raise prices we don't want to raise prices we right. want lower prices we want to make this quality as accessible as possible we think that is how we're going to win the market it's it's not you know, in Whole Foods, is if we can do this in Walmart, right. then Graza is making an impact on people's health and on the country. Um, but it's 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 very difficult. Yeah, it's very very difficult. And so, how do you even like Matt deal with that? I mean, it's is it velocity? Is you just in a good position where velocity can sort of take take down some of those elements for the moment? Yeah, you do what you can. Um, you know, luckily we made a really, really good buy on Drizzle this year. We signed that contract for the Drizzle futures in I think March or April of last year and before the signs of the bad harvest were, were out there. So right now Drizzle is doing a lot of the heavy lifting um, yeah. on our internal margins and Sizzle is almost a break-even product. So 
um, you just have to deal with it. Right. You know, businesses being on your toes and reacting and seeing what problems are coming yeah. tomorrow, but also three months and six months and a year down the line. And, and Future apology notes, yeah. so you gotta get it lined up. <laughs> it's so interesting you have futures. No, yeah. look, if you, look, I think uh, you know, we both deal with a product that is shaped by <laughs> weather and conditions that are out of everyone's control. Redo it. Yeah. Yes, so we, we, we both work... <laughs> <laughs> Trucks, you know, they yeah, get a lot of attention. With Rind and with Graza, we both work with products and raw materials that, you know, you can't predict weather patterns, and a lot of the growing conditions are out of our control. Um, and we don't compromise on quality, so we really are reliant on a certain type of product, and if we're given a bad, dealt a bad hand, we have to, like, really figure out ways to either diversify the business or mitigate the threat. Um, I think one thing that's unique in, back to like competitive advantage, that right there is hard to do, right? right? So like by design, it sort of limits players from coming into your business because dealing with unpredictable weather patterns on your main core product is a really challenging start. Right. When you get it right, you know, you can really capture magic. With fruit, you can chase the sun and you can, you know, you can go around and right. source what you source for this, fruit from this region, you can chase and continue to source that throughout the year from other regions. But they're going to be different. It's right. going to be a highly variable product. But, yeah, that's part of the game. Yeah, interesting. So just believe in the law of averages. Yeah, I like that. Mean <laughs> yeah. reversion. Reversion to the mean. Yeah. yeah, it's true. The next question I have for you guys is really around uh, the complexities and challenges of supporting retail. Uh, they're both, at this point, integral to your, your respective brand. So how have you sort of had to, I don't know, maybe reinvent the business to handle what is sort of a different operating model than direct consumer. And Matt, did you, did you ever do D2C? Or you just no, we did. We started with D2C. Just for like quick iteration and yeah. feedback? Yeah, Got it. exactly. Um, look, retail is where you know, we have decided to build our, our business and our profit center around is that it's gonna be a high volume uh, wholesale business. Right. Um, you know, it, it, while it's amazing to be on Amazon and available through our own website, you know, some snacks are just, um, you know, the, the snacking in general, in my experience, hasn't been uh, found a way to be as sticky with subscription the way something ritualistic like uh, soda or olive oil. coffee or yeah, olive oil. Exactly. There you go. So people have a lot of choice in snack. You can right. have a bag of pretzels, some cookies, fresh fruit, dried fruit, and everything in between. So the way we're really going to build this business is take over more and more snacking sets within top tier grocery. And what I love is that that landscape is changing, right? And COVID accelerated that to a great degree, is that all the, it gave rise to all these alt channels, all these alt retailers, like subscription box, like a online marketplaces like Thrive, and B2B marketplaces like Fair. Right. And it's really sort of created points of discovery uh, like never before for your product that are frankly more curated, in some ways less competitive with less slotting fees mm, that right. make retail such a difficult and historically low margin business to compete in. I think the best way we approach it is to, how can you make your category manager, your buyer look really good, right? Do their homework. Exactly, <laughs> don't come to them and say, I have the greatest thing since sliced bread. You have to carry my product. Here's why, why. Don't sell them on that. Say, what are you missing in your set? What's working? What's not? 
we can come up or collaborate together, again, just like take time and be different than probably every other person that's come in to pitch their wares that week and say, how can we make you look really good with our suite of products and focus on this unique take of fruit? Right. How about you, Alan? I'm I mean, we, a lot more retail. A lot more retail. I mean, I'm getting a crash course in supermarket and CPG retail right. every day as Much we go. different than Jack's? Much different, yeah, much different. We would get a purchase order from retailer XYZ saying, ship me this style, this many units of it, these sizes in six months. Right. Um, this is review periods, mm. resets. Um, right. But then also when you have an exciting brand, people calling you saying, what can we do to move things around? How can we get you in here faster? Um, and you need to make the right decisions. Right. Um, you know, if, if someone is gonna reset you, but they're saying, oh, I have one space for sizzle on the top left shelf and one place for drizzle on the bottom right shelf, like we're not gonna do that. Right. Um, so making the right decisions for us is yeah, really important. The shiny and, we, and we have to build the data story. We have to show the retailers that we're not in, hey, look, what we're bringing. We're bringing a younger consumer, we're bringing a new consumer, we're raising the average basket size because no other brand is getting people to buy two different olive oils in, in one shot. So we kind of have to build the story as we go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a different product, it's not a different set. Like everyone on that shelf is selling the same thing, olive oil. Right. Yeah. What can we do that's different? The average velocities, it's a very sleepy category. Yeah. If you sell, the Which average is 0.7. Right. So if you sell one, you're above average. If you right. sell two bottles a week per store, you're, you're a fucking hero. <laughs> you know? Really? So, yeah. It's Damn. true and snack too. Yeah. yeah. It's unreal. Uh, I mean, people would, you just think of the foot traffic of an average grocery, you would think it'd be a huge number. But by and large, one and a half to two units per store per week per SKU, that's kind of the bogey. Right. And so for us, you know, we really have to stand out by letting the product and the response from the consumer do the talking. And I think thankfully we're both blessed where we have yeah. that. Right. But it took a lot to like, that's why your statement and how you sit confidently on shelf has to also be different. Form factor is a big underappreciated, you know, aspect of that. Yeah. Putting a thin cut fruit chip, not in a stand up pouch, but in a chip where you'd have fried potatoes come out of so that you can be merched next to salty mm -hmm. is a really, no one was doing that in Fruitland. Right. They were saying, oh, just put me near the craisins. Right, 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 right. And so like where you live, the real estate you choose is as a much part of the innovation as the product itself. Yep. What's on the horizon for your respective brands? What do you want these brands to be, to, to be uh, when you look back and, and sort of their legacy uh, in the space? Look, I think, um, you know, I started this company when I was uh, closer to my 40s than my 20s. And so I'm doing this at a different point in my career where, you know, I expect to have lots of reinventions and, you know, trying new things along the way. But um, this in particular is something that I'm doing uh, not to flip, but to build. Uh, my kids are involved in the business. My family I've taken along on this journey. You know, it is this selfish endeavor in many ways. Um, and so I'm building this with them. Right. And therefore I want this to endure. And the way I approach that is build something bigger than just a product, right? right? And so to me, how can we get Rind to stand for something, to be, you know, infuse the brand with values and a way we do things such that we won't innovate here, but we will innovate here. 
And we're really planting a flag around better for you, which is table stakes, right? You have to create a snack that has some functional benefit. The rind delivers that in spades. But then it's sort of how do you make a dent around being a good steward in your sourcing practices, in your fair trade practices? So sustainability, using the whole fruit, letting nothing go to waste, and doing that in something bigger than just a single category like fruit. Lots of things have rinds, right? right? Root vegetables right, are more right. nutritious at sweet potato skins. Uh, root, you know, legumes, nuts, Marcona almonds roasted in their skins. Anything that has uh, an additional layer of protection during the growing season is gonna be fortified with more nutrients naturally. That's what we want to go after, and that's the idea behind Rind, not as just a pure fruit snack company, but a bigger play. Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Good luck, um, Good luck following that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Graza, you can do the same thing. I mean, Graza, we, you know, a couple things. We want to keep things as simple as possible for as long as possible. We think there's a long way we can go with, with these two SKUs and these oils. You know, we really want to improve the quality of olive oil in this country because it has so many health benefits. If people start using this instead of an oil that's two or three years old, there's more polyphenols, there's more omega-3s, there's just more health in a fresh product. And we're showing that that is doable. We're not buying from you know a right. blender just like most other brands are doing. Um, so we wanna really improve the quality of product at scale here. Right. That becomes, that turns into being one of the largest importers of olive oil right. in the country. That's where we think we can go and where we hope we can go. Um, and Love at the it. same time, we, we want to build trust. We're trying to build trust with customers. We showed it with olive oil. Trust us. What you're buying is not real good extra virgin olive oil. This is. Right. We think we're starting to get some of that. Um, we want to build trust with retailers. When we say, hey, trust us, people will buy a product with our brand name on it. So right. before we launch another product, which every day we get asked, what's next, what's next, what's next? We're really trying to keep it mm. focused. You know, we, we built this from day one to be as scalable through retail, through our website, wherever you want to buy Graza. Like our backend is, is super, super simple and streamlined. And we can take these two products a very long way. So before we answer what's next, which you know, we have a whole list of what could be next. We don't right. know yet. Yeah. Um, we really don't know yet, but I think we'll have an aha moment one yeah. of these days that yeah. this is this is right, you know, yeah. to build on the trust that we've built with these two products. Awesome. We sold six million our first year and did $80 million in sales last year. That's what the COO of Adventure Challenge, a longtime customer of ShipHob's, shared with ShipHob the other day. The pace of growth for Adventure Challenge has been insane but it wasn't all positive. It started with a failed crowdfunding project. Then investors assured them that their business would fail. They raised $0 in outside capital. And it somehow only took a few years to hit $80 million in sales. They started off fulfilling all orders themselves. They'd have U-Hauls packed with thousands of products making endless trips from their storage unit to the post office. It was not scalable. It was definitely hurting their growth. It definitely wasn't fun. That's when ShipOb started their partnership with Adventure Challenge. By being able to focus on growing the business and product development, sales took off like a rocket ship. While Adventure Challenge initially focused on D2C sales, their popularity started driving other conversations. They started to stock several hundred smaller boutiques across the country, then Francesca's, then Kohl's. And while they're based in California and most of their customers are in the U.S., 
The word of mouth and viral videos on TikTok and Instagram started driving demand around the world. So then they started filling orders out of Canada, and then the UK, and now Australia. From a failed Kickstarter and getting $0 in outside investment on day one to over $80 million in revenue, Adventure Challenge has defied the odds and built a global powerhouse brand alongside their partnership with ShipBob, who's there to help you completely unlock your brand's growth. Read the entire story at shipbob.com forward slash adventure dash challenge. We're getting a stop four here. It's a game called The Hot Box, aptly named for the set design here. And um, so the hot box is essentially sort of like the hot seat, but it, it's a this or that style question game. So I'm essentially going to ask you A or B, and you respond as quickly as you can without thinking about it, uh, what you identify more with. So, Alan, I'll have you respond first. Okay. I'll have you respond second, okay? Okay. You guys ready? Ready. Yeah, cool. All right, first question, cold plunge or hot tub? Um, hot tub, then cold plunge. Cold plunge. Beach house or ski house? Beach house. Beach house. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Lots of it. Sunrise or sunset? <laughs> sunset. Sunset. D2C or DTC? <laughs> um, Don't D know what the hell you're talking DTC. about. DTC. DTC? Oh. Or the, the number or the letter? That says it all. Uh, DTC. Never okay. thought of that. Uh, neat or messy? Neat. Messy as hell. Corgi or Golden Retriever? Golden Retriever. Okay. Comet, shout out my Golden Retriever. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> I gotta get a cutscene to him there. I'll, I'll shout out Alan's Golden Retriever too. <laughs> All right, cool. Winter or summer? Summer. Summer. Tennis or golf? Right now, tennis, but I miss golf. I kind of had to retire with a new business and a baby. Uh, basketball. Pineapple pizza or candy corn? Oh, pass on both. Oh, you gotta pick one. Um, pineapple pizza, because I can take the pineapple off. I mean, it's fruit on a pizza. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> All right, we'll go with that. I'll put a rind pineapple <laughs> chip on, yeah, on my slice. Collab waiting to happen. <laughs> Let's do it. Live music or DJ? Oh, God, neither for me also. Live music. You have to pick. <laughs> you don't like music? Uh, no, not really. This is kind of a robot. <laughs> Chat GPT over here. Uh, live in space or live underwater? Jeez, where are you getting these questions? I don't know who wrote the scripts. Um, underwater. I'll go, underwater. I'll go with space. Yeah. All right, fight one horse-sized duck or a thousand duck-sized horses? One more time. Fight one horse-sized duck or one a thousand duck-sized horse duck horses? horse-sized duck or a thousand horse... Duck-sized duck horses, sized yeah. horses? <laughs> one horse-sized duck. Right. Yeah, I just for the sheer, I'd like to see one horse-sized duck. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I yeah. think I can reason yeah. with him or her. <laughs> Right, you can negotiate like, don't out of eat that. Me. Let's, let's just talk about this. Sweet snacks or salty snacks? Salty. Sweet. Call, text, audio notes. Text. Text. Reading or writing? Reading. Writing. Work on-site or work remote? On-site all day. I can't work remote. Not, not, not a question. <laughs> on-site 24-7. Yeah. Do laundry or do the dishes? Oh, I love doing the dishes. All right. I will definitely choose do the dishes. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. My Instagram screen time is way too high and everything else is way too low. I'll go with LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, dancing. LinkedIn famous. Nah, yeah. It's working. Yeah. <clears throat> dancing or people watching? People watching. Yeah, I'll Especially go from a glass truck. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Cocktails or beers? Cocktail. Beers. Plug it. We did the greatest collab of all time, uh, where we made a IPA out of dried persimmon and dried oranges. Uh, the uglier the fruit, the better. It was sweet in the mash, 
and then they conditioned it on top of these orange chips, and it was a award-winning beer from my good friends at Other Half. We've done it two years in a row now, yeah. and of course we're going to keep doing you, this. You, I, I got to try that um, Andreas Smack Shot event. Yes, you did. Which also had Grala Ava and Holiday. Oh, yeah. Holl- a lot of good yeah. collabs yeah, that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, feel too hot or feel too cold? I, I run hot. I'm always hot and yeah. sweaty. I'm told I yeah. run hot too. Yeah. So do you want to be too cold? Or do you want to be too no, hot? No, I, I, I like it. Oh, is this preference <laughs> yeah. or reality? Yeah, I don't oh, know. Whatever. Prefer, Next. Yeah. You get one animal to protect you against zombies, gorilla or grizzly bear? Oh, love a gorilla. I like with grizzly. All right. I like to just do some damage. I can't wait to stitch these all up with people's responses. <laughs> <laughs> give up bread or give up cheese? These are the real ball-busting questions. I, know. I knew this was going to be like 60 minutes. Um, <laughs> give up cheese. Yeah, I would give up bread. I feel like you can make some good gluten-free substitute. Ooh, but can't right. screw it up with cheese. Air guitar or air drums? Uh, air drums. Guitar. Board games or video games? Board games. Video games. $50 on red or black? Black. Red. Start early, leave late. <laughs> oh, right, I'm supposed to go first. Uh, both. Pick one. Uh, leave late. Not a morning person. Yeah, leave late. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Fiction. Where do you want to go next, Europe or Asia? Asia. Asia. Rich and famous or rich and anonymous? Anonymous. Yeah, anonymous. Playlists or podcasts? Podcast. Playlists. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Pancakes. Speeding through now. Speak to, an, speak to animals or speak ten languages? Ten languages. Languages. Well, really? You know, we could probably figure out with a translator. Ten? Yeah, I guess you're right. Nah, you're pretty should, cool to talk to your dog. Ah, my dog has nothing no, to I say. No, I stick with languages. Give me more food. <laughs> stick, with, stick with languages. Um, Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Netflix. Telepathy or teleportation? Teleportation. Yeah, teleportation. Trucks or billboards? Trucks! Trucks! Good news or bad news first? Uh, good news first. Yeah, good news. All right, I got good news and bad news. We've come to our last stop on the show. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for joining me. This was definitely one of the more uh, fun conversations. I think the pairing of what you guys do is just so unique. And so um, really appreciate, appreciate you guys being a part of the experience. want to give you guys an opportunity to tell people where they can find Graza and Ryan, respectively, where they can follow up with you guys if they want to chat, things like that. So, Alan, I'll let you start. Um, if this is hopefully launching in May, you can probably find us on 1,000 shippers inside Publix stores. Let's hey. go. Yeah. And where else? Uh, in Whole Foods, in Wegmans, in Myers, in Fresh Time, in the Fresh Market, on hey. our website, in almost a thousand boutiques on fair. Love Braza it. is everywhere. We love it. Uh, we're still only sold in Court Street Grocers. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we haven't been discoed. Get the clean turkey. Uh, you can find Rind in about 10,000 points of distribution now, including all Whole Foods right behind us, as well as H-E-B, Wegmans, uh, the Fresh Market, Walmart, Costco, Target, CVS, uh, and a couple other places like that. You're my hero. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, let's go check out some of those places.